eater of leftovers, gardener. Gourmand. Yeah. Gourmand. A gourmand? What's that yeah. mean? Uh, just a, 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 a food. A food boy. A food boy. <laughs> I, he's a, he is a treat boy. Steve he's a treat is boy. A food boy. Yes. Uh, he, 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 loves, he loves his treats. Yes. Uh, and isn't his music a, a treat to us all? Yes. 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 <laughs> uh, all right. Let's get started. Okay. And introducing a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing Steve Albini, the king curmudgeon of American punk. Today we're going to be talking all about the legendarily confrontational big black frontman and doing a deep dive into art artists and what being offensive is all about. All from a 2015 interview, Steve Albini talks to listen. And when Steve Albini talks, you we listen. I listen. We listen. <laughs> Uh, but first, let's introduce our own guest uh, from the podcast you all know and love, uh, Beep Beep Lettuce, and the new pod, Generation Loss. It's Bryn Niebuhr. Welcome to the pod, Bryn. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yay. Thank you very much for being here. For albining here. I love albining here. Yes. I'm albining here. <laughs> hey, I'm albining here. <laughs> uh, in a very rare feat, I actually did some reading for today's thing. I uh, This is actually a... Special episode. A special app. This is a momentous app on multiple occasions. Me, a, me doing some of the reading. Yep. Uh, B, finally bringing in an off-reference book on this show. Uh, we'll be taking a little bit from the Big Black chapter, chapter of Our Band Could Be Your Life. Yes. Uh, but I wanted to bring up that I'm just, I just finished reading, so I'm going to be lousy with tidbits from it. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, all you know is this book. Uh, all I know is this book. <laughs> Our Band Could Be Your Life Could Be My Life. Yeah. Uh, it is your life. Yes. It's uh, a great book. It yeah. is a great book. Uh, apparently, as part of his like ruthlessly efficient management stra- strategy extended to his personal life, and whenever he would default on uh, phone bills, he would just uh, blacklist his name and start a new uh, a phone account with the Chicago local phone company. So at uh, certain times, you could find in the white pages listings for Steve Albini, Steve Albono, Steve Albano, <laughs> <laughs> Steve Albini, Bing Bong, oh, like whatever, like yeah. four oh. list, five listings for various uh, identities of him. Brilliant, even as a young man. Yes. Yeah. Also, I, I like dumb fraud. Like, yeah. just easy easy fraud, chill yeah. chill fraud. That's good. Uh, a big supporter let, of fraud. Let, yes. let Steve talk on the phone. Well, let's Steve. <laughs> he has a lot of calls. He's got a lot make. of calls to make. He booked Indep- all their running, tours. Yeah, running an independent record label and a, and a you know, band. Yeah. There's a lot of communication. He was probably on Usenet. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, telling everybody else there that they suck shit. Yeah. <laughs> as he has wanted to do. So, Bryn, you suggested this topic to us. I did. Why? So, Steve Albini was probably the first run-in I had with what I would consider extreme music. Uh-huh. Um, noise fuck, noise punk, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Yeah. Um, and it ran when I was very young, like early high school, middle mm-hmm. school, perhaps, and it scared the shit out of me <laughs> at yeah. first. Um, but I think Steve Albini is really... Um, 
I think he really encapsulates a lot of questions and issues I think that are necessary to talk about in 2020 almost now that we're here about um, our, our authorial intent, mm-hmm. um, offensive material, mm-hmm. uh, canceling people mm-hmm. for said controversial material. Um, and I thought it would be fun to talk about the best one. Yes, <laughs> he is. He is the king. He's the king of offensive music. He's the king of music in general. And in terms of my heart, yes. <laughs> he's one of my favorite musicians. Yeah. Do, do you remember who, who exposed you to Steve Albini? Was it radio or like friend or it was a friend? Yeah, it was my friend, Brett Middlesey, uh-huh. who make incredible music. Um, and still does make cool music in a band called Paint Fumes. Ooh, good good name. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you like kind of, you would like them because it's very like early 2000s, like a uh, King Con type of sure. like yeah. 70s punk throwback. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, look at this. And he like had a CD yeah. of songs about fucking. And you saw the album cover to this <laughs> and you were immediately like, I will like this. <laughs> no, my honestly, my immediately thought my immediate thought when I was 17 was that looks like something I will get in trouble for. Uh, yeah. Cause I was like, <laughs> <laughs> have you seen this? Mo- Molly, do you know the songs about fucking uh cover? No, but I'll look oh, at no. it right now. It, and it's great. Yeah. That and atomizer are two of the best record covers. I love, I love pop a, art. Yeah, yeah. I love when a Google search gets, you reach the inappropriate part because it stops auto completing. <laughs> yeah. You have to type the whole thing. Oh Song. boy. Yeah. This is cool. It's very evocative. If right? you yeah. haven't seen it, it is a bright lime green field uh, with pink bold lettering that says songs about fucking big black. And it has an, like an anime drawing yeah. of a woman with like her arch. Yeah. Just her chin is sticking into the frame and she uh, looks like she's being fucked. Yeah. Clearly evoking uh, a, a mid fuck. This, yeah. w- this would also as a teen, I would be like, nope, this is inappropriate for me. <laughs> well, I, was, yeah, I didn't know what to think of it. And, yeah. and it was because it's so blunt. Yeah. It's like you kind of laugh, but you also kind of are afraid. Yes. Um, yes. But after hearing it, all fear was gone. Yeah. It was like, that was for me. Ah. I was like, this sounds like torture. And I love that <laughs> for some reason. I don't know what like yeah. about, cause I was like kind of a, I was, I was into punk really early. Yeah. Like before I was 10 was mm-hmm. like, I was like all about MXPX and no effects and Rancid yeah. and stuff. Great. That was like my upbringing. It's yeah. like, I had already done classic rock. Um, so I was like, classic rock is for babies. Yeah. It, I was like, classic rock is for babies. Yeah, but by the time I was 16, 17, I was like, I need something stronger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, it was definitely, that was the first thing I heard. I was like, this is for me. Yeah. Up, up to the tolerance. That's uh, yeah. that's great. Um, how do you feel about, uh, Steve Albini? Uh, Big Black. Well, why don't you go first? Cause I have a, lo- okay. a bit longer. I mean, my, my, my answer is I had not been super familiar with his music. I had been familiar with his production slash engineering. Sure. Uh, and liked that a lot. I think the, fr- but the first time I was familiar with Steve Albini as a concept was reading, um, the problem with music. <laughs> What's which, that? Oh, ri- so he wrote this essay, which I believe was in 1993, oh. and it was basically just about like how in the post-grunge boom of independent bands getting signed to major labels, everyone there's like a lot of money flying around, and he basically was explaining that all the money that people think that they're going to make by signing to majors is not going to happen because they're going to get ri- get ripped off, and he right. put it in actual numerical terms, and I think it like blew a lot of people's minds of being like, I'm paying 
$6,000 for a lawyer to look at a contract about my merch. Right. <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's not, those are, those are my six. Like, I think his final calculations was like, if you sell $250,000 copies of your record, the album or the uh, record label will make like $90,000, and each member of your band will make $4,000. Yes. Mm-hmm. In a year. So like that's cool. That's cool. That's how I was. That's how I was aware of Steve Albini is kind of like a scene, like a scene truth teller. Yeah, which is I feel like he 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 kind of reminds me of who's the um, which is who was the ancient Greek guy who like wore a barrel and was like ranting in the streets, being oh, like, um, "You're all you don't get it." Yes. Yeah. Uh, let me let me like, look up. It, it's not like Demarc. Uh, that would be Diogenes. Diogenes. I Diogenes. feel like Steve Albini is like kind of like a Diogenes <laughs> for the punk scene. For the punk yeah. scene, yeah. just yeah. being like, punk come on, Diogenes. guys. I think a lot of people found like found out about Steve Albini because of Nirvana. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's probably yeah. most people's introduction to him when In Utero came out. Yeah, or when they found out about In Utero, if they're not that old. Yes, but. I was introduced to Big Black, and then the next sentence out of Brett's mouth was, "This guy produced Nirvana, uh-huh. and that's why In Utero sounds crazy." And I was yeah. like, "Oh, oh, got it, <laughs> got it." Yeah, so that, that's my familiarity with him. I haven't really dug into his actual catalog, and uh, read Our Band Could Be Your Life, and was definitely amused by his like contributions mm-hmm. in it. Um, so take, take it away, Chris. Uh, so my is kind of backwards. Uh, I, my first exposure to Albini was actually through shellac. This would be in my high school days when I uh, mm-hmm. became friends with uh, past guest of the show, Nathan Truman. Oh uh, yes. No. Our senior yes. LA correspondent. Our senior. Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> who has no, since no, moved moved. back to Chicago. Yes. Back to Chicago. <laughs> who was just <laughs> we, a, wait. So we, that means we have an open position for, for a senior, senior LA, LA correspondent. correspondent. I guess that goes to Joel. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> who was just a masterful chronicler of everything canonically cool mm-hmm. circa 2003. And, you know, uh, I would just be at his house and just bring my computer over and rip every CD he has. Nice. Uh, and one of those would be something that I was told was cool, which is the shellac album, 1000 Hertz. Okay. So this is my first exposure to him was his third or fourth band, which is like his third later. Band, yeah. yeah. Well, more, unless you can't flower. Yeah. More, uh, I guess, math rock. Uh, type thing. Sure. So some of my first exposure is much sillier than his earlier thing, like this squirrel song. This is a sad fucking song. We'll be lucky if I don't bust out crying. <laughs> and this goes on like this for a while until he gets to the climax. Where he screams, and they were squirrels, thousands of squirrels. Uh, this, this sounds specifically made for you, yeah, Chris. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was like, "Well, this is goofy," uh, but I guess it's supposed to be "quote unquote" cool. So I listened to this a lot. Uh, it is. It is. It is cool. Uh, well, this, the song before this is "Prayer to God." Yes. <laughs> Which so the first song you ever heard from Shellac was "Prayer to God," yes. and how did that feel? I mean, I was like, I. I guess I get the, I get why this is supposed to be, but then from there I kind of slowly pieced together from this weird industrial goofy noise, band, noise math band that he was like a luminary mm-hmm. of the scene and was like this legendary producer. Uh, and then I went to Northwestern where it is well known oh. that he was one of the most notorious DJs of WNUR college radio station of mm-hmm. which I was both the rock music producer and at one point one of the worst general managers of the station that is <laughs> so I guess I'm notorious uh in in my own way. In fact I've been specifically shouted out shouted out on long running a uh, political radio show 
uh, this is hell there as quote the worst producer this is a hell has ever had. <laughs> ah. So Steve Albini and I have that in common is that he was uh, notoriously kicked off of morning radio, which is reserved typically reserved for jazz for playing abrasive rock Free jazz. Fuck, oh. No, like oh. rock <laughs> fuck songs. And so a, you're saying you were the actually the best. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, <laughs> this is a humble brag. Yes, this is a ra- 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 <laughs> brag. So I got fascinated him by him as a WNUR character. Apparently, once Big Black was. Uh, contracted to play a song by WNUR or play a show by WNUR uh, and they uh, stiffed him. And so he rammed their tour car into Annie Mae Swift, the hall that has the radio station. And apparently until they (laughs) renovated it while I was there, you could still see the chunk that Steve of the wall that Steve Albini took out of it. Nice. So it became a legend. Yeah. So basically became fascinated with him as a uh, college eccentric figure yes. imagining him walking around campus literally just listening to the Roland 606 drum machine <laughs> yeah just like with headphones into a drum machine was apparently how he would walk around campus wow and then backwards from there eventually got into big black and realized oh wait big black fucking owns and am now a big 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 black fan big big, big, big black, black fan. fan yes so that's my experience with Albini and read a lot of the stuff that he wrote and said about things, and uh, he rocks. Yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah, I think he does too. Yeah. I, I think he's one of my favorite musicians of all time, and I think he, you know, was probably pretty influenced by Swans, who yeah. I think is also one of my favorite bands of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that sort of whole understanding of music as something that is to be explored, um, not just as a way to sort of create emotions that people like experiencing, but to create emotions of all kinds. Yes. Most of which from Jira and uh, Albini are terrible to have. Yes. <laughs> that nobody uh-huh. wants. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but, but still uh, he feels compelled to uh, release. I mean, I'll get into this with uh, one thing that he said about his music. Uh, I would shoot myself in the face if I couldn't blow off steam. And because I don't like sports and because I don't like disco dancing and because I don't take drugs and because I don't drink and, and I don't <laughs> beat my head into the floor and I don't have a wife to beat, I have been black. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and I think that maybe will serve as a uh, segue into our discussion here because that is a typically abrasive expression from uh, a young uh, Mr. Albini. Yes. The care the I mean, this is what the interview is a lot about is like the sort of caricature of like masculinity and especially like masculinity and music, which like when he says, I don't have a wife to beat like he's kidding. Yes. Right. But he's also like aping the idea of like, well, I'm just like a big, big man with all this. Like I could have blown mm-hmm. off steam in all these different ways, including beating my wife like he's. Yeah. But. I think a lot of people wouldn't get that. Yes. And that's where that's like the fine line no. that he's playing on, yes. well, which I think he probably really enjoys. <laughs> well, this is the thing. Very I think for him. Steve Albini is sort of a, a, a Janice character of like a really thoughtful guy mm-hmm. who deeply understands his emotions mm-hmm. and the emotions of others. And one of the OG trolls of the world. Oh yeah. Like yeah. one of the top trolls. Yeah. I mean, his, I've ever seen. his band between uh, Big Black and Shellac is called Rape Man. Rape yes. Man. Which by, I should, we can do a little, con- <laughs> we can do a little content warning before we delve a little bit more into oh, this yes. interview because there is, there's sexual assault and we'll be talking about a lot of that. That is stuff, true. So. We will be talking a little bit about that. But yeah, the tro- that is troll shit naming your band <laughs> Rape Man. Yes. But the, the idea that he does, he knows himself. That's something that we talk about a lot on the show because you can tell when someone has written a memoir and they've explored 
themselves sure and maybe gone to therapy like <laughs> jeff tweedy from wilco has definitely gone to therapy that's all and he he's does. also gone to rehab yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> wilco is therapy well yes yes <laughs> totally um and then some people you can tell that maybe they haven't done the soul searching mm. and are just more interested in sharing the like weird goopy stories yeah but steve albini is definitely someone who like he get he you know drake know know yourself yes. yeah <laughs> well i think what's interesting about steve albini is that the 80s feel like a time when being edgy for the sake of edgy really started to rear its head in culture mm -hmm. where like metal kind of came about to like, we're going to be Satanists just to fucking mess with Christian. Like, yeah, you, it was cool to name your band atheist and not incredibly cringy. Yes. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, because yeah. people would actually get mad and like the American culture was very stuffy, very conservative, mm -hmm. very Christian. Yes. And, yes. and it was, easy to shake people out of their status quo feelings by just saying things. Yeah. And I think Steve Albini definitely has a lot of, he gets a lot of joy out of making people uncomfortable. Like, I don't think that that's, you can argue against that, but I think he does it with a purpose. Unlike a lot of other people who do this kind of thing. And he, mm -hmm. he actually w says that, he thought he he got that the metal at the time was trying to be edgy, but thought it was incredibly clownish. Yeah, uh, in attempting to do it, and like his version of responding to that was rather than you know in, in kind of a typical edge lord way, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> like as what we would understand as an edge lord, knowing time. knowing yeah. that it is it's easy to offend the conservatives. But what you really, what really gets the thrills is offending the liberals, mm, mm. Uh, and that it's easy to be like, you know, mm, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, hey, we're 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 devil spawn is like, yeah, sure, that's easy to get a rise, but you out know, out of complete morons, out of complete yeah. morons, but uh, getting your like somewhat plugged in, articulate audi audience of punk of like college age punk kids who are there because they know punk is edgy to be like, whoa, wait, hey now, yeah. wait, this is too much. Uh, I, I'm kind of just going to be rattling off uh, uh, facts that I read from, from this. I mean, Please. go ahead. A, a case in point, so we're talking about, again, like all these supposedly satanic metal bands of the time. Sure. Kiss, Knights in Satan's Army. <laughs> Satan's uh, service. Judas Priest. Yeah, Judas Black Priest. Black Sabbath. Yeah. <laughs> Albini wanted to call the first big black EP Hey N-Word. Oh my God. Uh, with the cover being, and his idea was the cover being a drawing of a disgusting, obese white man uttering the phrase. Right. The, and his words quote, the idea being that an offensive term used by an offensive person is only offensive. If you allow that person's commentary to have some weight or value. Mm, uh, mm -hmm. And it took literally everyone around him begging <laughs> him not to do that, <laughs> to not to convince him otherwise. Oh, but that's like his idea yeah. of being like, well, I, yeah, and I definitely think that if you read some of his, especially from this book, mm -hmm. his much younger understanding of this, yes. like, is mm -hmm. very different, I think, from how he explains it now, yep. which I think he's realized, like, the it's, it's difficult, but he can do it, offending the white, liberal, masculine, you know, sort of misogynist people yep. by mocking them, but not actually offending the people who he's trying to protect. Like, he can yes. do it. But yes. it, it takes tact. Yes. yes. Which he did not have in no, college. No, no, no. He did not. No. <laughs> or, yeah, or in his time immediately afterwards. Yes. No. Yep. Yeah. Um, so this this interview that he did with the the Australian indie music blog Listen uh, came about because the, uh, I guess the co-founder or founder, uh, whose name is Evelyn Morris, was a musician who was touring with Shellac. 
she was opening for them. And apparently, I guess, shellac, because it is so, you know, kind of big, brash, masculine posturing, they thought it was interesting to bring usually, like, female-identifying openers or, like, Mm -hmm. people with, like, female-front people, bands with female-front people to, like, kind of almost triangulate the audience, their audience as someone who could be interested in both of those things, right. which I think is cool in a way of sort yeah. of like curating your people. And, but- and we should, to be to be sure, like as we talk about like their music as big, brash, masculine, bold, aggressive, mm-hmm. to, to be absolutely clear, Steve Albini is a tiny nerd. <laughs> yes. yes. A tiny, a angry, wiry <laughs> nerd. Like he is the the definitive thing of that. I mean, another, another um, <laughs> example from the book, he said that, he was so bullied in high school that when he got hit by a car in his senior year of high school and was laid up with a bro- in a cast and a broken leg in the high- in the hospital, uh, he would get calls from local jocks and rednecks uh, delighting in his suffering in the hospital <laughs> and just be like, "I I wish you died, but yes. it's cool that you're that you're, you're here in pain." Yeah. Yes, that, yes. God. Yeah, like That's his horrible. bullies would call him in the hospital and be like, "Glad you have a broken leg, sucker." <laughs> I'm sure it was worse than sucker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so this this writer was touring with Shellac and basically had a realization listening to Shellac's song "You Came in Me" <laughs> that she started processing a sexual assault that she had that basically involved like coercive sex and someone coming in her when she didn't want them to. Mm. Right. And she was listening to Shellac's song "You Came in Me," which can we listen to, to a little bit? Of? Yes. Uh, and just basically uh, sort of harnessing this rage for something she realized wasn't okay. And it made her think like, what is Steve Albini's opinion (laughs) on like provoking, basically this came from someone being triggered, right? Right. About something specific. Literally triggered. Literally triggered. That word gets overused a lot and often to try to undermine actual experiences. But like she was triggered by Shellac's music and by Steve Albini's music. And she's like, I want to talk to him about like making triggering music and like what that means. So we can get a little of this. This is You Came In Me. It is a mostly instrumental song. Is it, are the only words, you came in me? <laughs> he came in you? He came in you. He came in me. Yeah. Well, what the fuck do you think I was going to do? <laughs> My God. Uh, this also, I love this. Albini, uh, king of finding groove in incredibly mechanical music. Yeah, that's all he does. So fun to listen to them playing like fucking seven or whatever. We want to wait for the yeah yeah let's let's yeah, just appreciate the this, this shellac jam. What do you think that I was going to do? That's why I'm fucking you. Yeah, and I think the question is interesting. Like, okay, because so basically the reason I wanted to talk about this article was that when I read it, mm-hmm. it was because it was basically around the time when Brand New got canceled. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I don't um, remember this cancelization. It's Jesse Lacey, right? Jesse Lacey, yeah. yeah. Oh, I do remember this for like harassing wars underage girls yeah. and fans and stuff at like years. the Warp Tour and shit like that. Yes, I yes. do remember this. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, Brand New was a band that I really loved yep. and wrote a song 
called um, Me versus Maradona versus Elvis, which is literally from the perspective of a rapist. Uh-huh. Um, someone coercing someone into sex, getting them drunk, and then saying, I almost feel sorry for what I'm going to do. Yeah. And as a kid, that song was harrowing, but also really kind of beautiful. And I kind of like liked to hear it yes. because I thought he understood mm. that he was writing something about like exploring a character of like evil things that people do. Yeah. So finding out that he was just being honest yes. <laughs> was kind of horrific for yes. me as an adult mm-hmm. and like hard to listen to it now. Um, yep. So it kind of made me think this is all, you know, wine scene was going on and all of these sort of like, you know, famous men, yeah, and getting quote unquote canceled or literally arrested and charged for crimes. Yes. Right. <laughs> yep. Depending. Depending. Um, <laughs> I was sort of like Steve Albini being one of my favorite artists. I was like, is Steve Albini like a good person? Because yes. I yeah. don't know now. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I came across. So pleasant surprise. I came across this article yes. where someone had had this exact thought of like, well, I've been processing this music as a way of like quote unquote empowerment or mm-hmm. a way to process my feelings or rage against these kinds of things. But is he doing that? Is that yeah. what he's making it for? Right. Yes. So it was interesting to hear him say, yes, actually, that <laughs> yes. is exactly what all of this has always been about. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yep. he says that explicitly. It, it's, it is a kind of in a weird way about how much you uh, quote unquote believe men. <laughs> <'Cause> it, <laughs> I, Do like, you believe men? I mean, cause <laughs> To his credit, we ha- we d- haven't ever heard anything other than Steve Albini being an upright, like Shithead. R- rigidly ethical in his behavior person who yeah. none the rest less says shithead things. Like his his ethics in terms of how he interacts with other people in the music industry are as equally legendary as his desire to uh, tell everybody that they suck a pig's asshole. Right. Um, <laughs> uh huh. So. As far as I know, he's never been accused or anything. So his behavior, as far as we know, is is uptight. And that's exactly what he says about it at the time. He would say things like, I know in my heart that I am an ethical person and I behave ethically. So what I am trying to explore is like, what does it matter what I fucking say as long as with what I do is correct? Yes. What I'm saying is just making you mad. Yes what I'm doing is good and correct. And right. that's like how he would kind of talk about it in, even in his like when he was like 22 or 23. Yeah. And I think what's, what's crazy is, is that there's a certain, like I never thought anal cunt yeah. was doing that. Like I thought mm-hmm. anal cunt was trying to be offensive for the sake of being offensive. Mm-hmm. I don't know really, like if I could tell you why I listened to big black and felt like this person gets it. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, I, I would really like more people to have that sort of conversation about like what's the difference between I mean especially as leftist podcasters Mm -hmm. you know like you know why does Chapo and Cometown get a get a pass from me whereas like Opie and Anthony or Howard Stern I think are shitheads and it's Uh like those are really hard to define things and not everyone's going to agree on them yeah I mean because the thing that I was going to say is one of the I would say one of the tells that that, uh, (laughs) Albini is on the up and up is that he's funny, like actually funny, which <laughs> right, I know doesn't go to just very being far. Dark, like, well, that's yeah. interesting because humor basically implies that once again, you're sort of in control. Yes. That you but at you, least have a handle on the situation enough to find where you could potentially make, not necessarily make light of things, but 
create at least some sort of opportunity for like release. Right. I mean, and it's, it's sort literally of a bad what? metaphor in the terms of the uh, song "You Came in Me," but <laughs> you you have like humor is a tool for like just not being like no, I'm actually so caught up and overwhelmed by actual feelings I have, like I hate so and so or want to do this and that. Yeah, well, that's like it's at the most literal level what irony is is mm-hmm. having an understanding that there is a disconnect between what you say and the and the literal truth mm-hmm. of things. And I mean, we could get. I mean, we could turn this into a, a podcast about words about comedy, but, uh, but like, <laughs> yeah. you know, must we, uh, we mustn't, <laughs> but you know, uh, there, there is an irony in the big, in big blacks song lyrics that you can kind of sense, uh, if, if you're by just the way that he like set spells out like sentences and phrases and how he delivers things that I think shows that there's a detachment there. Right. I agree. And mm-hmm. I think there's a line that you can tell that he's not crossing. Mm-hmm. Like he's not just saying, you know, faggot or whatever yeah. But yeah. like like anal cunt or yeah. um i'm trying to think of other examples of like bands that were doing this sort of like edgy for the sake of edgy thing but yeah. like there's definitely like he's not just saying offensive shit he's i think what he's trying to do is hold a mirror up to what he experienced of mm-hmm. like very asshole men who were mean to him and hurt his feelings and his body yes. you know? yes. and be like you assholes act like this. Yes. It's disgusting. Yes. And you should all be afraid of it. Yes. Um, but that's par- a hard line to draw. Yeah. yeah. I also think that he's engaging with the same kind of stuff that women have to do with all the time. Female songwriters of like mm-hmm. what's autobiographical versus what is like a th- third person or like fictional sketch of a thing. Yeah. Which I feel like the conversation is usually about like women about like authenticity or whatever, but it's a thing with men too, especially when they're doing stuff as weirdly evocative as you came in me. Mm -hmm. Like he's, he says in this interview, uh, he says it's an expression of male sexual entitlement. The text of the song is minimal. Uh, you came in me an expression of alarm. He came in you as an expression of shock at the inconceivable presumption that implies. And then what do you think I was going to do? That's why I'm fucking you as a matter of fact, dismissal of the affair as though the intent and act should have been obvious from a historical male sexual dominance perspective. Of course he came in her. Of course he did. Presuming any other outcome would go against not just statistical norms, but millennia of the presumptive intentions of man. (laughs) Of course he did. It was likely the only thing on his mind. It's repellent or comic depending on your mood and uncomfortably familiar to most men. So like, I feel like his idea of like kind of putting it as like a story that you can either like connect to or not, as opposed to like, this is how I was feeling. Mm -hmm. Right. The, the universality of it, I think also makes it, more palatable as opposed to being like, no, this is me and my feelings. Yes. And I'm a creep. Yeah. Again, the, the, cause everyone's a creep a little bit sometimes. <laughs> yes. We're all creeps. Right. 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 Yes. I mean, I, and I think that, you know, prayer to God is a funny one because what she talks about in this interview, um, if you haven't heard it, prayer to God is listen. basically just the, the words of a man, uh, praying to God, asking him to kill his ex-girlfriend and her new boyfriend. Uh-huh. Um, just very angry that she's gone and he, he's with another person. And it is one of the most uncomfortable songs that I've ever heard. <laughs> Let's play it. Represented in two's compliment binary. Oh, yeah. I forgot that this song also starts with a pre-recorded message about the audio fidelity at which you should play this record. Yeah, great. <laughs> which is also very Albini. Oh, my God. To the one true God above, here is my prayer. Not the first you've heard, but the first I wrote. Not the first 
confronted by yeah. this almost emotionally raw thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so in the article, he says, you summarized this perfectly when you said it was a naked expression of male entitlement. It was inspired by a casual reflection on the idiom of the murder ballad and how fucked up it was that we have a tradition of song that is basically dedicated to men murdering women. Then what if there was a guy who was too much of a wimp to actually murder anybody but was just as frustrated and entitled? Yes. So it's like, this is a joke to him. Yes. But yeah. he, he he feels it necessary to to explore it because it's like a real It's thing. real, yeah. yes. Also, I, would, I haven't finished it, but the Dolly Parton podcast, Dolly Parton's America, talks about murder ballads. Mm-hmm. Fucking crazy! It's I didn't know wild. anything about it, and ha- hearing this, I was just like, seriously, people would like, you would go to a town, like a singer might go to a town, find out about a murder, and then turn that into a song that he would bring to other yes. towns <laughs> and change the details of depending on what murder he was talking about. Um, people have always been into true crime, it's yeah. Not mur- a new trend. Yeah, murder ballads just, are the original murder podcast. It's, yeah. Yes, it's just my favorite murder. The yes. song, exactly. <laughs> and we like, think oh, that that's so horrible and misogynist, but I bet that those audiences for those folk singers were full of young women who were like, "Oh my god, ooh, he killed her!" Ooh, <laughs> what do you think I was gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm fucking you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the the other thing I liked in the interview that he was talking about, prayer to God, he said. Uh, the commingling, just talking about this idea of like asking God to kill uh, people you hate, especially like in a romantic context, the commingling of expectation, religion, and patriarchy is one of the least examined yet most pernicious influences in our culture. And if things like this remain unspoken, the thinking doesn't die. It spreads subcutaneously like a fungus, making everything sick. To exercise, exorcise this kind of thinking, it has to be stated plainly, daylight is a great disinfectant. Mm. I love that. Oh, that's great. <laughs> He's so fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess, yeah, I mean, my question to myself after reading, well, my first response to this was like, this is awesome. He's the best person. I love him so much. But I mean, my second response was like, would I not like it if he wasn't like this? Mm. Would I be like, like if Steve Albini was like, it's just a, fu- it's fucking, just a fucking song. It's a fucking it's joke, man. Yeah. Like, who cares? Yeah. Like, would I be like still as into Big Black and yeah. Shellac as I am, which is a lot. Yeah. And I don't know the answer to that. I mean, it would feel much more complicated. I I think one of the big things that you could say to his credit in this thing is that he's clearly felt the same way about his music and his songwriting his entire life, but he has gotten way better at articulating it as time goes on, which just illustrates that how he, he always had these instincts, but he really is thinking about why he does what he does, which is another thing to commend him to people. 
if people spend 20 years making the same mm-hmm. kind of songs and you're like, I don't know, they're fucking songs. They're, why do I write them? Because they're good and I rock. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> then, then you're like, well, I don't know. Maybe so if you're writing you're, murder ballads when you're 45 and you, the same you've done when you're 18 and still saying the same reason. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's cringy. Maybe it's you, dude. <laughs> I'm just thinking, I'm like, who who says shit like that? Like, who's like, I don't know, because the songs are good and it's uh, uh, Noel Gallagher. <laughs> <laughs> who sucks? I fucking hate that band. <laughs> like, uh, it was Noel, not not um not Liam who was in the and did an episode of Hot Ones. Yes, that's not. And someone uh, the host asked him. That's the for people who don't know or care. It's the uh, YouTube show where people eat hot hot chicken wings and answer questions. It's a great interview they, show. They it's eat, great. They eat hot chip and lie. They eat hot chip. <laughs> they eat hot chick and lie <laughs> yeah. and, t- and they tell and tell the truth. That's all they know how. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the he the host asked. Noel, who like who the best songwriter is, and before he even finished the question, he was just like May, May, May next, May, next. <laughs> and it was just like I know he's performing himself as much as yeah. Steve Albini might. I don't know. Do you think Steve Albini is performing Steve Albini anymore, or do you think he just is? That's a good question. I mean, is Steve Albini a performance? I feel like within the last decade, Steve Albini has really softened his image. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like even even. 15, 20 years ago, you could go on his studio's forum and he would just be like reaming people out, just like just unabashedly being like, these people fucking suck. Yeah. They don't know how to make music. They don't know how to play their instruments. They don't know anything about recording. Fuck you. I'm a bristly asshole. But uh, like in, with- in his one of his zine columns in the early 80s, the column in the zine matter, which was called tired of ugly fat. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He wrote upon learning that ministries, Al Jorgensen might be producing an art noise band. He liked, he said, if you make them sound one tenth as wimpy as ministry, I'll cut your balls off and sew them in your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) So stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like intra industry banter, but I feel (laughs) like in the last 10 years, he's like, you know, he was on like Little Bub's channel <laughs> and he does a lot of food writing now. Yes, yes. He's, he has very, his food blog. he's very much softened. I mean, he's still like very regimented in like what he believes and like the, especially with music. Um, but I think he, he is more so just being honest now I rather yeah. than like trying to perform a sort of like prickly curmudgeon. Yes. I remember yeah. a few years ago there was a mini scandal when some band. What band was Cloud it? Nothings. The Cloud Nothings were getting produced by Albini and uh-huh. they complained that he like set up all this shit and then was playing like Words with Friends or Candy Crush on his phone while they recorded. <laughs> oh, really? And they were mad that they weren't, then they like posted madly about it. That they, they, were, they, weren't they, getting, they weren't getting produced. I think he attention. gave it like in an interview that yeah. he was like, he didn't do anything. Yeah. Uh, but that is what, we were talking about this earlier. Is yeah. That that's what he feels his job is as a producer is not to, manipulate the music in any way it's to basically set up all the equipment in the right way to evoke the sound and then it's your job to play the music yeah well and he clearly like i do that i have like add i'll go on like people's shows and play a little game on my phone because like if i don't i will start spacing out and looking at that building over there and thinking about that and not (laughs) it's a cool looking building is it (laughs) yeah but i'm just saying like he probably he says he he responded on the forum being like i play little games so i can concentrate on listening yeah um, right. If something was going wrong, I'm sure he would be able to know. Yeah. And he would do something he was like, about it. That's how I mix. Yeah. yeah. Like, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. I also like Steve Obedi is a like he's ostensibly titled a producer, but he basically is like, no, I'm an engineer. Yeah. 
and I like that. I mean, we haven't delved too much into like production versus engineering. We, uh, we see did the one. Glenn Johns episode. Yeah, Glenn, episode. We, <laughs> our, our well listened to Glenn Johns yes. episode. <laughs> no, no one is seeking out a podcast about Glenn, Glenn Johns. Johns. Uh, that. that episode's pretty good though. Yeah. There's some good anecdotes in yeah, there. No. Uh, if you like this about an interview, uh, an episode about a uh, curmudgeonly man who makes music sound excellent. Right. Oh, yeah. The then Glenn, Glenn Johns, Johns yeah. will be your guy. And if you also don't respect Keith Richards, because <laughs> Glenn Johns definitely didn't. He fell asleep everywhere. He yeah. Was, I mean, talk about playing Candy Crush versus uh, yeah. falling asleep on the job. The this the other thing that this interview does is like the the writers definitely taking not taking him to task, but kind of pushing forward this idea of like how do you create a scene that's like how do you create a positive scene? How do you weed out the, like the shitty people who are fans of you? Mm-hmm. And like his, I think I I liked, I mean, some with like straight white men, the bar is on the floor, I'd say most of the time. But he, <laughs> I just liked how much he was basically just like, listen, just because I don't witness something or don't experience it doesn't mean it's not happening. And it's like infuriating to me to like find out that things are happening without my knowledge. Like I'd rather him say that than be like, oh, well, you know, we have a bystander intervention policy at our show. Yeah, no, he doesn't. He's not catering to what he thinks anybody wants to hear. He's being incredibly honest. Yeah. It's it's very shocking. Yes. It, <laughs> yeah. uh, no one talks like this. Or, you know, I wish more people would talk like this. Yeah. But he's like, yeah, he answers like, well, on he's like, I'm not in a scene. I'm talking about my forums. Yeah. Right. And he starts talking about forums where he's like, somebody was being sexually in inappropriate yes. on there and uh, they got kicked out. And yeah. It was Imagine great. Imagine being in having the urge to be sexual. Well, I mean, I guess it goes that way, but just imagine horny on me, horny, horny on the Steve Albini forum. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Who are, who are you? you anybody can abuse power anywhere. anywhere yeah, apparently. But yeah. And then, you know, he's just saying like, because he does like the extra bonus of this, um, for me of this, uh, interview is he says like, he's disgusted by, um, the worship of capital. Mm-hmm. Yes. And like, yeah. he, started, he like describes this sort of like how he thinks he's like talking about uh, Trump preaching on varnish fascism. He gets a little mm-hmm. political and it's nice. pretty nice. Yeah. yeah. But um, he also mentions that like how he would wi- want a scene to be organized is horizontally. And he's like, yes. it's not up to me as the leader to like say you're being inappropriate, but like mm-hmm. people all sort of agreeing that this person doesn't belong in their community and then ousting them. Yeah. Yes. Um, which is a good thing to say. Right. If you if any organization has one person at the top who's ultimately making these decisions, shit is either, either going to like slip through the cracks or they might not have the best ideas about what to decide. Or they will make themselves a guru and abuse the power of themselves. Yeah. Uh, see any improv school, for example. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, and UCB it, called the fuck out. <laughs> I mean, look, uh, read Seth Simons. Uh, anyway, uh, and he he was steadfast about that too in the initial big black era is like as soon as they got big and started mm-hmm. getting like East Coast tours and UK tours and shit like that, he, they basically stopped playing Chicago because they were like, you fucks didn't like us yeah. when we were only here. So uh, now so now that we're big, you want us to play? No way. Yeah, uh, suck my dick. <laughs> yeah, suck, suck my big black dick. <laughs> oh, uh, and, but at the same time they were doing that, it, uh, Azarad and, and our band c- talks about how Steve would mercilessly, not mercilessly because he was, this is where he is actually a good guy would like 
religiously work the horizontal nature of the 80s indie scene and like know everyone in every location who knew the person in the next location who could book them in the next show and put them up in the the next place to get everywhere that they needed. So it's like Mm -hmm. both at the same time refusing to take a figurehead status in when they get big in their own scene and then trying as hard as they can to work themselves across the like flat horizontal organizing scene of the 80s indie world mm-hmm. in a way where, you know, if a band, if, 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 a, if a place offered them $6,000 but wouldn't uh, for a gig but wouldn't accommodate to their exact needs, he would have no problem by tossing that gig out and doing a, a gig that would pay them $2,500 but do everything that they needed, including, you know, repping the other bands of the night and stuff like right. that. Yeah. And even to this day, he like consistently has always had his studio prices be like the exact same where mm-hmm. it's like he's not going to take anybody but if it's like if you can pay him for his time and yeah. his like it's like he takes like a very small hourly fee it's really kind of insane yes. if, if he lays it out on the forum yeah like he doesn't make very much money yes uh, <laughs> so he can have bands you know there was have a, good production. Yeah. There was another good uh, anecdote about this uh, of the first label that put out the uh that put out the first two big black EPs and atomizer uh, asked him if they could print a limited number of copies of their single Il Duce uh, to send to radio stations as promo. And he said, yes, but only if it's only for radio stations, I don't want this sold. I don't want fans being charged extra for like premium shit or like a repackage or a reformat anything. Mm-hmm. They already play, paid for the thing. Mm-hmm. And the label said yes. And then he noticed in record stores outside Chicago, he started seeing this single pop up for sale and called the record station pretending to, or the record company pretending to be a uh, buyer being like, Hey, can I buy the big black El Ducci single? And they said, uh, yes, but not if you're in Chicago, only if you're outside of Chicago and Ooh. immediately canceled his deal with that record company because they, Shady uh, shit. they violated his, his, his desires to not double charge his fans. If you have ethics, it's not hard to just stick to them. If you just stick to them. Yeah. That's the nice thing about being ethical. It's like, <laughs> here's my list. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you check off all the boxes on the list, like, we're good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what a what a simple way to live, almost. But that is then the... If you uh, can make money, like, yes. period, otherwise. Right. Not but so I much. feel like he doesn't really care. Yeah. Like, yeah. if he had never gotten to the part point where he was producing Nirvana, if he wasn't, you know, he would still just be doing exactly the same shit he's always done. Right. Yeah. But that in... I get. I guess. Go to getting back to the like. When do you? When do you believe men? Question <laughs> is like, you know, a lot of people talk big game about you know what their actual ethics are, but I guess if until you see people living by those ethics for forty five years, for forty five years, but <laughs> yeah. also that is a good indication of if what people are saying is true or false. I will. What's in their heart? Yeah. What's in their heart? And mm-hmm. I will go by. The come town example, mm-hmm. which is something that I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this will uh, say, is like, "Look, come town, get a lot of shit for a lot of shit they say being offensive." I have only I, the few times I've interacted with Nick Mullen and everything I've heard from the many many people around me who interact with him all the time is yep. that he is a ruthlessly ethical person yeah. who is one of the most stringently uh, like fair dealing people yeah. that they have ever come by. And I know a lot of people have a lot of problems with Cometown, but if you want to know whether or not the whole thing is a joke or offensive or not, I think that that is a pretty good indication along the lines of 
Big Black and Steve Albini about what is in the heart of the people who run it. Yeah, it can be very difficult because like I remember in college being a huge fan of this band Mm -hmm. having, you know, posters and buying these records and like, you know, people knew I liked this band and they thought it meant that I was like racist or like (laughs) a self-hating person or whatever. Like, and I had to have conversations about like, is it worth it to even have like, is it important to have hold a mirror to society or like Mm -hmm. if that's what he's doing, like why did I draw the line at, you know, death in June? Like why did I think non was a real Nazi, Mm -hmm. but like, Mm -hmm. you know, Steve Albini gets a pass because he's joking or whatever. And I feel like the culture in the early two thousands did not have a a way to like discuss that. No, it was like, it was like, I don't know. I think it's a joke or not, not like, (laughs) right. (laughs) Not what he's saying in this interview where it's like this philosophical examination of like male entitlement, like that no one thought that that's what it was except for like people who maybe experienced it. Yep. He, there's an interesting bit in the interview just talking about, uh, once again, like what you practice in, in life versus what you explore in art, where he says, I want to make a distinction between not tolerating sexism in person and allowing sexist language and behavior and characters and protagonists in song. The perspective of a song, it barely needs to be said, although apparently it needs to be said, uh, <laughs> doesn't represent the mental state of the musician and inhabiting it while conscious of the difference is important. I'm not deflecting such criticism by saying they're, quote, just stories, unquote. I'm saying that every facet of humanity, even the worst, is present to a degree in all of us and any of us can, any of us can inhabit that perspective either willingly or be driven to it. Mm-hmm. It's important that we deal with it on a cultural level because it sure as shit, it will appear in real life. Mm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, again, when we're trying to talk about it, so, like right now and uh, quote unquote cancel culture and yeah. like wh- which of our faves will be canceled uh, is, is like it helps people, to be a fan of female musicians in general. It does. Get canceled less. <laughs> they get canceled, I, th- I think, far less just uh, in general. But it helps. Again, if people are able to talk about their material in in ways like this, yeah. mm-hmm. then you know th- that is that can be a line. If again, if it's just like, if it's just like, no, you're off- you're triggered, you're offended, then yeah, it's yeah. like, then you clearly believe what you are saying. <laughs> yes, yeah, and you're that's not, the point. If if your only if your only response to making something offensive is it's okay because you're the one who's triggered. Yeah. Then you are not trying to trigger me. You believe in the material. Yeah. Yeah. And you enjoy that. It, I'm offended by it because you like it because you actually believe it. Yeah. Uh, and also, as I was saying earlier, growth, here's another idea of <laughs> personal growth. growth. <laughs> uh, he, he, Steve Albini does not do a no growth. He does a growth yes. uh, <laughs> in the liner notes to the pig pile live album. Albini, Quote, anybody who thinks we overstep the playground perimeter of lyrical decency, parentheses, or that pub, the public has any right to demand, quote, social responsibility from a goddamn punk rock band is a pure mental dolt and should step forward to put his tongue in my ass. <laughs> <laughs> He's not saying that to uh, yeah. Evelyn, yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. her name Different is. Different opinions. Different opinions. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, it's he may have just like not understood exactly what he was doing, but it's like it clearly came from a different, a, a similar place. He just didn't know how to express it at the yeah, time. Yeah, and I think that his best method of expressing it was just to be angry about about even being asked right. to define it. It's also like you don't. It's hard to know what he was asked and like what yeah. he thought of the person asking it. Well, that was in the liner <laughs> yeah. notes to something, so that's his own manifesto about oh, okay. about uh, 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 what the music means. Yeah, um, he also. One thing that 
was also interesting about this interview is the only thing he apologizes for is a song called Jordan, Minnesota. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big black song um, that is about a, a, an alleged child sex ring about Satanists in Jordan, Minnesota who, yes. are, who are like raping children. Um, and he wrote this really great song about yes. how terrible it was. Um, but he f- was duped. That was not a real thing that happened. It turned out to all be fake. And uh, it was like one really of those satanic panic things about yeah. uh, um, where the, uh, the the children were like hypnotized or something to confess on their parents. And right. something like 26 people were brought in on like apparently having like a satanic molestation yeah. ring. Yeah. Right. Um, and he talks about at the time and quotes from the time he talks about like uh, that he just felt like so deeply that this is proof of this darkness that lurked everywhere, even under polite society, even under, you know, people who pretend to, to be uh, nice and stuff. And, you know, uh, in typical big black ways, this is a big black thing that works in the hearts of men. Yeah. But it was a hoax. It was a hoax. And he feels really bad about it. He <laughs> says, I'm so sorry. I'm most thing I'm most embarrassed about in my career. There's literally no way I can make up for that. Um, but here's hoping that the next Shellac album has a Jeffrey Epstein song. Yes. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Jordan, Minnesota 2. Yeah. Little St. James. Also, I'm sorry. How rare is it that people apologize in interviews and they seems like they mean it? Yeah. Just, yeah. just being like, I'm sorry that caused harm. No qualifiers. If this song perpetuates the impression that these people were actually doing these things, then it caused harm. And I'm sorry for that as well. There's literally no way. It's, yeah, I mean, this is like what happens when you're an empathetic and earnest person. Yeah. Is that's what you write. And not ruled by like PR or your major label or, you know, your yes. social media fucking And you're following. not afraid of losing your money. Yes. Yes. Uh, ah, God. Yes. And, and to do it on bidden, <laughs> not be like, not be like, Mr. Albini, Mr. Albini, will you apologize for Jordan, Minnesota? But right. to be like, let me think about my body of work. Uh, yeah, she didn't even ask about Jordan, yeah. Minnesota. He mm-hmm. just brought it up. Yeah, <laughs> but then here we have to go deeper because, again, literally just having finished before we started recording this chapter, uh, one of his bandmates describes how they would play Jordan, Minnesota in the mid '80s, mm-hmm. and how they would build to this cacophonous wall of noise while Albini would on stage simulate being a raped child <laughs> uh, on stage in a really graphic and terrifying way. Oh goodness! Oh boy! But that's how he approached the su- the yeah. subject at yeah. the time, and the, the, that is the 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 difference, I guess, is to be like, this is how I approach the material in this violent, disgusting, confrontational way. Yes, but also with the ability to be like, well, that material was wrong and yeah. bad, and I imagine that if he was asked about it, he would not. Uh, denounce the way that he performed that song or how no. far he went with it, but just the fact that he chose that yeah. subject matter. Well, because he, he also says to, like, before he gets into specific songs, and like, including that one where he says, if I'm going to play with fire uh, in that kind of, like, uh, sketchy subject matter, I'm obliged to do it in a way that is both responsible, parentheses, respects the truth, and worth the risk, parentheses, not capricious, not frivolous, mm-hmm. which I feel like... I know we were talking about like humor earlier, but there's, I think it's funny because it's so serious. Mm-hmm. Like it's done with such a straight face and yet a, a wink or not necessarily a wink, but see again, all of our collective lefty pod coverage of mm-hmm. the Jeffrey Epstein thing. It's something that is so monumental, so yeah. horrible, so big, black, Mm-hmm. Uh, dark and evil mm-hmm. that perhaps the only way to wrap your head around it or even make people think care? or care about it yeah. is by 
trying to be funny about it. Yeah, over the top because yeah. it's there's no way you can be over more over the top than the whole thing. The, the nature of the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz it's insane. <laughs> yeah. Um and I mean I would I you know, if this song was about the actual child sex trafficking that is done by the elite of this country, mm-hmm. um I think that would be incredibly appropriate. Right. I mean, yes. it would be offensive and deeply disturbing to watch, right. but I don't Triggering. think it would be, una- yeah, yeah, it wouldn't be inappropriate. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's me. And I mean, that's the kind of art I like. Yeah. Um, I like having my face shoved in it, but like not everyone <laughs> likes that and that's fine, but that doesn't make it unethical. I right. think. And it's this, it's once again, the daylight is a disinfectant. Like if you don't bring this stuff up, it will continue to, fester under yes. the surface mm-hmm. destroying no- people's lives there is nothing that uh they would like more than for us <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to not uh ever talk about jeffrey epstein yes yeah and i think you know if your response is to a guy doing this on stage is to freak out and, and be, be like, like this is un un un, un- ne- unimportant mm-hmm. or um excuse me if if your if your response is to freak out and say that this is um unacceptable unacceptable yep then think about the real stuff he's talking about. Yes, right. exactly. It that should says be more worse. about you than about what is happening. Yes. Oh God. Yes. Also, I feel I feel like this is also. I mean, this was four years ago, but sort of dovetails with the current <laughs> discourse on Twitter that I'm noticing a lot, especially about movies and television, which is basically there's a sorry fucking slack. There's a certain contingent of people on here who think that if you make art about bad people, it means that you're a bad person. Yes. And it means that no one should watch it because we should only watch art that's about good people and the triumph of good over evil. <laughs> yes. Because it's, you know, un- amoral or whatever or, or bad to make art about bad stuff. Yes. Because even that, if it's like, you know, bad, bad vibes or something. Overtly the case that the that your protagonist is an a, asshole, an asshole who person. has bad things coming to it. Yeah. To, yeah. Coming to them. Yes, it's 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 very difficult to see uh, people sort themselves into these uh, very these very uh, opaque camps. Yeah, and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that people just don't have media literacy. Yes, uh-huh. like I mean, I went to film school. Like I Same. literally took classes about how to read texts. Yeah, um, visual or literal. Dude, um, I love reading text. I fucking love reading text, bro. <laughs> Shout out to text. <laughs> <laughs> but but really, like I mean. I literally went to classes to do those things. You know, I went to, you know, I took literature classes and like lots of people just don't. And so I think that there, and, and, you know, there's a lot of propaganda that is like, don't worry about it. Everything is about a hero's journey. Literally nothing can be, you know, everything is escapism. Everything is pro protagonist. And so I think it's, it's, I do feel bad for people who don't know how to read something that's a little more complex than that. And I don't entirely fault all of culture, but sure. we all need to be teaching people how to do that. And that also, yes. that, that same, like we're probably mo- more thinking about like movies and movie culture online and stuff. But I think that that also very directly relates to uh, music and the to way that this people, music. to this music and, but also to like pop music and the way that people approach big pop musicians as singular commodities where the songs and the performer are one-to-one related mm-hmm. and the songs are good because they are about the performer and the performer is good because they are the performer you like. Yes. <laughs> like I, d- I doubt this is something that like, let's say Ariana Grande fans, real hardcore Ariana Grande fans think about all the time. Mm-hmm. But I would bet if you a- figure out a way to ask them, 
the majority of people. <laughs> if you figure out a way to approach, yeah, yeah. approach these Aryan. Yeah, if I caught them in my big butterfly net, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and got them and got them to say this. What I'm trying to get at is people. Anybody who thinks that who would describe themselves as an Ariana stan, I bet would implicitly think that the protagonist of every Ariana Grande song is Ariana Grande. A hundred percent. And like they are. I mean, like they're literally about like what, her Pete Davidson and, and yeah, Mac yeah, yeah, Miller yeah, yeah, or whatever. Exactly. Like, they're literally called yeah. like Pete David. Yeah. And that more and more are like the big artists, Taylor Swift, the big singular artist, Travis Scott, uh, Drake are designing themselves around being a one-to-one relationship with the person it described. It's the protagonist of the song is me. Yep. And you are relating to me as the singer of the song, as the subject of the song, as the voice in the song. Yeah. All these walls are completely demolished. Yep. Which then when you look at something a little more complicated, like literally any Steve Albini song mm-hmm. with those eyes is like, Oh yes, Steve is the guy who's in every song who's a rapist and a bigot and, a, and he's, yeah. and he is telling us that he is bad and therefore he is bad. Yeah. How, how would we not think that? Yes, exactly. What, what else could it be? Right. But I think that, and that applies to not only music, but movies and podcasting. Yeah, exactly. Because like, unfortunately we come across as characters, uh-huh. you know, like yeah. with this show, we're saying our real opinions. I'm not a character. I'm real. <laughs> <laughs> your uh, your uh, relationship with me is not parasocial. It is actually social. I am your friend. <laughs> I am also your friend. Yeah. I thought you were doing. What's the test in um that movie about like the robots, like the dreaming Blade of Runner? electric sheep or whatever? Do, yeah. Do the, what's the test? To, uh, you come across a turtle. It's on its back in the hot sun. The You're not void, picking void it up. Comp? Yeah. Why are you not picking it up, Molly? Okay. Why are you not turning the turtle over? Why am I? I don't know. <laughs> why aren't you turning the turtle over, Molly? <laughs> it's in the hot sun. It's on its back. Oh my god! Now you shoot Chris in the head. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, that's that's the podcaster's test, or mm-hmm. we, yeah. need, we need an equivalent of that because I don't think I'm going to find a, a turtle anytime soon. <laughs> not not in this city anyway. <laughs> not in this Free, economy. In, not in this economy. In in New York. <laughs> Free turtles. Free turtles. Fall out of here. Um, the the thing about pop stars as characters and as like the one to one relationship with um like the protagonist of their songs, like they are the heroes of their own songs. Sure. I was made aware. Do you guys know this uh, YouTuber Todd in the Shadows? I do not know Todd in the Shadows. I was shadows. made aware of this because someone added us on Twitter and was like, hey, Todd in the Shadows, you should go and introducing. And it's this guy. First, I mean, I could talk probably for another five to six hours about how YouTube music reviews have replaced music writing. But he does yes. like these very in-depth, like 15-minute long individual explorations of different uh, uh, songs and kind of digs into like, you know, cultural context, whatever. And he was he did... Uh, he reviewed the song Don't Call Me Angel, which was the theme song to the latest Charlie's Angels. Sure. Flop, mm. bomb, terrible, and the song's not good, whatever. It's not a good song. But he said, he was basically talking about how, like, why do I like pop music? Like, why don't I just bury my head in, like, indie rock sand forever? <laughs> He's like, because they are superheroes. Mm-hmm. They are, like, mm. pop stars are literally superheroes. They sure. have costumes, and they have, like, storylines, and they have, like, you know, arcs in the media and the press as well as with their fans and with relationship with other people. And so, like, when... They're demigods. Yeah, yeah. When pop stars are superheroes, and all we like is fucking superhero movies, and the whole point of superhero movies is that good is supposed to triumph over evil, then there's no room for Steve Albini <laughs> starting a band called Rape Man. <laughs> there isn't. There isn't. And there should be. I agree. What if Travis Scott formed a super group called Rape Man? That, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a really interesting thing, because, like, Tentacion is a villain. Yes, he yes. is. But because that's who he really is. Yes. Yes. He's a character on the stage of superheroes. XXX is a good thing to talk about in the um, 
in this context. Yeah. Right. Because he's actually a misogynist yes. <laughs> yes. and a rapist. Yes. But that, so it's like people are just having to side with somebody who's bad and not examine the actions or what he's talking about. Cause he didn't. No. Yeah. Cause he didn't. No, no, unfor- unfortunately not in his lifetime. Not, but not in his lifetime. <laughs> I mean, and that is the thing again, if we're trying to be like, when should somebody be canceled? I mean, whatever that means. It's like when he, the way that he talks about his music is from a defensive crowd or talked about his music is from a defensive crouch from everybody. I, I'm everybody's enemy. Everybody's out to get me. Uh, you know, I've just and tra- also I've changed. I now like I I'm trying to like I want everyone to be positive, whatever that means. Like I yeah. want everyone to like, you know, just uh, follow their dreams. And he's like FaceTiming Billie Eilish for hours and hours. Just Wait, being who's like, this? Oh, uh, uh, XXX Tentacion. Yeah, before he died, he was like, oh, yeah, he like was like, I'm a good guy. Yes, now. Yes. I needed a face turn. He did. Yeah. And of course, all of his fans were like, yeah, no, it's good. It's good to be positive. And these are the same ones that are like, either it's not that bad what he did or like, I don't believe that he did it. Sure. But yes. yeah, yeah. But it's not for the music the itself. Up. Yeah, what? Yeah. You got to keep the kayfabe up. Yeah. <laughs> for the, but for the music itself, like it is, it that is the difference between music that is about something and music that is something that is if, something. That, made, right. if that made sense. I, you know, it's crazy when, when I, when you said Travis Scott doing rape man, I literally can't think of a, of a pop star that isn't being themselves. Right. Yeah. No, there is. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. There's I mean, nobody the making big, the big ones. Yeah. Art. Yeah. No. What, is that true? Maybe Lady Gaga. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a stan. I'm a, I'm she's a, the one who at least approaches that sometimes. Yeah. And she's do yeah. There's there's camp and but she she's on oh. a bigger trajectory of like her and f- like fame, as opposed. But that's a that's a character. Oh, um, Billie Eilish, I guess. Yeah. Bad guy is not about her real self. Right. No. Right. Zanny is about not doing drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that album. Yeah, no, so, it's great. Oh God, we're, we're, it. We love Billie here. Yeah. Huge uh, In this house, we <laughs> we, 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 stand. we support we support Billie Eilish and hope she's okay and not working too hard because yes, she's a she's, child. She should take a break. Right. She's still legally a child. Keep wearing the big clothes. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> For as long as you can, girl. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yes. The did you have another big black song you wanted to? Yeah. Uh, let's fucking listen to Kerosene. Uh, Ooh, yeah. Because a because it rules, and you know we ended up talking a little more uh, about shellac than we did about big black or rape man or rape man. Mm. I mean, Rape Man's e- most famous EP is called Bud D, which is a reference yep. to Bud Dwyer, who famously shot himself in the head on live television. Oh, yes. Um, yes. <laughs> very uh, interesting album. Yes, very interesting. <laughs> Check it out. Is it, is it actually good? I've never actually listened Rape to Man it. Rape Man is incredible. Really? I'll lend it to you. Oh, great. <laughs> or you can download it. it. Wait, this is actually a good question. Is uh, Rape Man on Spotify? Ooh, very good question. Uh, <laughs> much... Much to, I'm sure, Steve Albini's chagrin, the top result for searching Rape Man on Spotify is Ministry. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> Steve Albini owned. Owned. <laughs> BTF owned. Yes. Owned by Spotify. owned. Search. But, uh, it's actually a reference to a uh, manga, like a yes. hentai. Yeah, they, they talk about that in um, Our Band Could Be Your Life, that it was like that Steve somehow got a, his hands on this, about that's a, a manga about a superhero who ra- flies around and rapes everyone. <laughs> and got totally obsessed with it and passed it around to all the other members and they thought it was crazy. And so they're like, let's just name the band that. And uh, up, it became big problems. Like they got protested when they went to play colleges yep. and like uh, people in Europe apparently took it extremely seriously and like wouldn't book them oh, anywhere. Europeans. 
so that's probably <laughs> famously why famously uptight in Europe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Famously sexually respectful. Uh, <laughs> French and Italian. You're yes. Um, but so that's probably why that band only lasted, you know, a, a brief period of time. Right. It's One tough. album and an EP. It's yeah. Tough. So uh, here's Kerosene, uh, which I'm mostly just playing because I can't go through this episode without playing it. But then I have a supposition. Okay. <laughs> Let's hear it. Well, first we have to get through like the 20 seconds of, uh, of, of, of gossamer and lacerating yes. uh, opening, opening chords. <laughs> gossamer and lacerating. Uh, those are my joke words for uh, adjectives that would only appear in a uh, music, a music review. review. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and to its credit, the opening of Big Black's Kerosene is indeed both gossamer, gossamer and, and lacerating. lacerating. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Anyway, this song rocks. From uh, their seminal album. And a very hey. a very seminal. <laughs> Atomizer. Yeah, their seminal debut, Atomizer. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, this song is about, in Steve's own words, growing up in a small town where there are only two things to do, which is blowing things up or fucking the only girl in town who will let the guys fuck them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and this song supposes, what if somebody tried to do both those things at once? Uh, so kerosene around, nothing... Uh, Nothing to do in the town. She's something to do. Kerosene around. Set me on fire. Uh, set yourself on fire while fucking. fucking uh, yeah. <laughs> a, Sounds a, fun. A very powerful imagery. I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but one of the most powerful contexts that I've seen the song is attending the 10-year anniversary party to the book, Our Bank of Your Life. Oh, wow. As much, which was a cover. What year was that? I think like 2011, 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. Uh, wow. Soon, soon it will be the twentieth yeah, anniversary. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> My goodness! In which Michael Azarad uh, arranged for different bands to cover two or three songs from each of the bands featured in that book. Yeah. And one of the people he called up at the time was Saint Vincent. Was like, "Hey, would you want to cover any of the songs oh, awesome. from this?" And apparently, before, as he said, said it later, before he even finished the sentence, Saint Vincent said, "Big Black." Yeah. She wanted to do Big Black. Yeah. And I just think, and she, she fucking she rules. Yeah, <laughs> she's and awesome. She fucking destroyed Kerosene Live. I was in the audience. Uh, you can see this on YouTube. I watch this all the time. I've seen the video. I'm mad that I, you were there. Um, you can possibly, if you look carefully, you'll see a guy in a red, black, and white uh, plaid shirt. So this is Saint Vincent playing Kerosene. Um, just kind of thinking of what what the context of that of these songs mean. If you switch the person who says them from angry white nerd Steve Albini to perhaps angry female nerd St. Vincent, female lesbian I would, nerd, I would call her in in some ways an angry female nerd. Uh, yeah, definitely. Well, I don't know how angry. I think she she she's angry, but she's she's more of a self-flagellating person. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I just think that, you know, when we're talking about perspectives and what these songs mean and are they characters or not, just like thinking about a man singing these songs versus uh, what it, like it means for someone like St. Vincent, who I don't think I would don't think it would be fair to say likes to offend, but certainly likes to play with she, image. Yes. Uh, I mean, her last album rollout was definitely her doing that. Yeah. Of like fucking with people a little bit. I just think it's very interesting that somebody like that would jump at the chance to cover Albini, mm-hmm. aside, yeah. aside from hit from him being a guitar it's, god and her being a guitar god too. Especially this song. Yeah. Here we go. I was born in this town. 
I wish her music sounded like this. I know. I know. She, oh, she's so much better when she goes harder. And like she just re-released last year, Mass Seduction in all piano, which like sometimes I'm in a mood for all piano St. Vincent, but mostly I would like her to just be like evil. Yeah. <laughs> Loud and evil. Yeah. That might take a while, but whatever. Anyway, I, I, I just think that uh, St. Vincent covering Big Black is, a, is an interesting moment. Yeah, and I think it's important. I mean, I think he rarely does take like a, the sort of perspective of a woman, which yeah. I think is interesting because it's like so much of what he's talking about is about men. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. makes sense that he's mostly, but, but it's always about women. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yes. Um, which makes sense. Yep. Because of all of everything we've talked about. But it is funny to hear. You know, I've always wanted to do, mm. this is completely unrelated, but I've always wanted to restage um, the play Glengarry Glen Ross with, with all, all women. women. That'd be very funny. <laughs> Just have women dress up in suits being like, you fairy, you company man. Who told you you could work with men? <laughs> Just like doesn't make any sense. I love that. But it would be a lot of fun. I would like that. I would like to see that more than seeing, seeing men it is, for sure. <laughs> There's the kerosene around, set me on fire. Anyway, this rocked. I will put the uh, YouTube link to this. Highly recommend watching it. Yeah, Steve Albini is a gem. He's a, a national treasure. He's yeah. An, should He's an uncut gem. Protect, yeah, protect, <laughs> protect Steve Albini. Yeah. At, at all, all costs. Uh, we, we stand a thoughtful king. <laughs> Uh, a short king. Yeah, and I, a is king. he a short? Is he a short king? I imagine him being very wiry. Now, now I'm like, I need to know how tall. <laughs> Will a Google search for Steve Albini height return anything? I don't know. Is he that level of celebrity? Yeah, I imagine him being lanky but short. Wait, what? There's something called a Tadler. Oh, wait, he's six feet tall. All right. In All a, right. in a in a, a interview with the AV Club from the year 2000. Wow. He says, if I stand up absolutely straight, I'm six feet tall. And he's always hunched. Yeah. So he's probably over his hunched custom, over the console. Over his custom uh, belt guitar strap. <laughs> Which is so awesome. He doesn't wear an over-the-shoulder guitar strap. He has his guitar hooked to his belt. Um, to, to close out, just because I think it'd be funny, I would love to read uh, his what a part of his Grub Street diet. Because yes, please. I think the way he writes about food is like kind of great. And also kind of an antidote to the, the sort of harshness and yeah. uh, cerebralness of some of the stuff we've yeah, been talking about. Yeah, because he's a real person. He he's enjoys things. He eats yeah. food like everybody else. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll start this with a, a that the one mention of Steve Albini and food in our band could be your life is yes. one of his original bandmates saying that the only thing that they could recall him ever eating was Slim Jims. <laughs> Oh God! Uh, I love Slim Jims. And I mean, Slim would, Jims are great. His his shits must have been awful. Uh, and that he would specifically try to get the Slim Jims in the quote gold packaging because some of the foil would always rub off on the Slim Jims, and he would show it to his bandmates, like, "See, look at this foil covered Slim Jim." Before he would eat it. <laughs> so again, he troll. does a growth. Yeah, he, he's, he's a food troll. Uh, he says, my wife Heather is on a short trip to Michigan with her friends, so I'm on my own and I can make what I want. Normally, I ask H-Bomb. I call her that sometimes. She hates it. What <laughs> she's hungry for. Bomber guy? <laughs> <laughs> what she's hungry for, and I make that. I'm not picky, and I like making food for other people. Have lately been making pureed greens. Whatever looks good from the garden. Sautéed with some onion, celery, and a little handful of almonds, then pureed in the blender with a little yogurt or sour cream. 
Sounds good. We have three kinds of kale, and today it was in great shape. So I used about half kale, the rest being a smattering of different herbs and a few charred stems. I cooked all of it in olive oil, added a splash each of soy sauce, vinegar, sriracha, water, and maple syrup. Cooked the whole deal for about 30 minutes to hydrate and soften the almonds, then blended with some Bulgarian yogurt. I don't know what's up with Bulgarian yogurt. It's quite like labneh or Greek yogurt, but I feel sorry for Bulgaria, so I buy theirs. (laughs) Their roads are real fucked up. <laughs> the the funny thing is is that we can corroborate, corroborate that statement because uh two of our friends went to a Bulgarian wedding and one of their chief reviews from coming back was Bulgaria the roads are real fucked the roads up there. Are bad. <laughs> yeah. So if ever, anyone listens and wants to support Bulgaria definitely get get that yogurt. Get yeah, get that, that yogurt, yogurt donate to their kind. highway fund. Yeah. Go fund go fund me, road fund me. Uh um, yeah, and uh I, one of the things in the interview that was funny that we didn't touch on is um that fist of love is a is a um, notoriously controversial song because it seems just about to be about beating your spouse. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was like, "No, it's about kink stuff." Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. He's like, "I know people are vanilla, but I mean, I think it's pretty obvious." Yes, <laughs> right. He's like, "Of course, yes. Steve Albini is a kinky guy." Oh my god, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, he, that's what he, happens when you get beat up for your whole life. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta start finding it fun. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, yeah, you gotta get Bulgarian yogurt. Yeah, gotta get into oh, wait, whips and I, chains and shit. Can I read one more uh, quote? Yes, along these lines. This is a Lydia lunch in a Lydia lunch review of in January of '87 of seeing Big Black. The review of the show itself is uh is equally as sexual, describing the music as. Precision insistently invading every open orifice with the strength of 10,000 bulls as jackhammering on the base of my spine with a buck knife burn the dream of my hands wrung firmly around his throat. Lunch added a fantasy about her and Albini that surely must have sent the latter into paroxysms of ecstasy. Here's Lydia Lunch's quote about Steve Albini. Uh-huh. Parked in a pitch black overlooking something striking, useless, lifeless, hellhole, garbage plot where neither of us wanted to live or die, where for 32 seconds of his measly, lousy life, he wasn't in total control of his skinny, tight neck, taut, powerful, rhythmic thrashings, those irresistible repetitions sucking you into an incredible pounding like a head against a windshield over and over and over, the banging, brutality, squeezing, force-feeding him his own love-slash-hate-slash-life-slash-death trip flirtations in reversal. Do to him what he does to me. Wow. Is wow. Lydia Lutch trying to fuck Steve Albini? I, apparently she is. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Jesus. From the, you, from the erotic journal of no, Lydia Lutch. No response from Steve Albini? Uh, none quoted in Our Man Could Be Your Life. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's been married for a while, but maybe that won't stop him. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Lady, ladies love cool, Steve Albini. Cool Lunch, Steve. <laughs> L- Lydia Lunch loves cool, cool Steve. Uh, yeah. <laughs> L L L cool cool. Uh, oh shit. He's he's a snack and a full meal. A full meal of pureed greens. And a, and and a slim gym. And Bulgarian. And yogurt. Bulgarian yogurt. Uh all right. That's Steve Albini. I think we got uh to the to the nut of what is uh, important about him. Yeah. Uh, listen to the big black records, they they rule. Uh they're insane both insanely groovy and insanely abrasive. Yeah, listen to everything he's done. Yeah. Big Black, Rape Man, Shellac are all fantastic. He rocks. Uh, but let's move confidently into the end part of this episode. Yay. Anything to plug? Bring yes, I have lots of things to plug. plug. Away. Uh, you could listen to my sh- political show called Beep Beep Lettuce. Um, you could listen to me talk about movies. 
on my new show with Jeremy Hammond from Ballin' Out Super, uh, Generation Loss, um, available everywhere that you get podcasts. And I would be remiss to be on a music show without plugging my band, uh, Stay Inside. We have a full length coming out, hopefully at the beginning of 2020. It is sounding pretty cool so far. I recently went and saw uh, Stay Inside at the Bushwick Social Club and can confirm that they do indeed rock. Uh, uh, Bryn plays the shit out of bass. Thank you very much. Uh, it is a good band for good people. Yay. Uh, so I will I will, will include a link to that in yes. the show notes. Uh, I do not have anything specific to plug other than I am about to embark on a flurry of content to get us through the end of the year for Chapo. I think I have to produce something like uh, five episodes in the next <laughs> six days. God uh, damn. To get us through the next the end of the year. So uh, listen to that. Don't complain. Uh, suck it up. I'm doing my best. Uh, do not email Chris Way. Do yeah. not email me. No. Oh, my God. Uh, protect Chris. Email Virgil. Uh, yeah. That's right. Molly, anything? I got nothing in particular to plug. Yeah. You know, just I'm ready for 2020. This will, when does this episode come out? Uh, Wednesday. Yeah. Well, happy, happy December 2019. Fuck 2019. Yeah. Let's get out of this. It's all about, let's leave 2019 in 2019. Let's look forward to the future in 2020 and dream of political revolution. Yeah. Yes. Dream of political revolution. And, and big fat bass lines. Yeah.